how did you find doing Edinburgh this year? Uh, depressing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think that's why I was just I was just saying to you off yeah. these little <laughs> cool mics that you've got that um, I was just having a bit of time off of writing and, and also because I'm having some time off of Edinburgh. I've yeah. done I've done uh, ten solo shows out of eleven years. Really? And I think the last two have been my best, but also the most widely ignored. So I've just got a bit fed up. So I was like, well, nobody's gonna play. I'm gonna take my ball home for a while and, and sort of just have some time off. And so since Edinburgh, I've been doing loads of clubs. Yeah. And having okay. a really great time, and it's really been making my act so like razor sharp. Like my 20 minutes is like so like. <laughs> Which isn't something that I would normally associate with me. Yeah. And I, but I really enjoy getting big laughs because I've really like tweaked little bits. So then I think, oh, well, maybe I won't go back to Edinburgh until I've got like an hour that's like that, which yeah. will take me longer than a year to write. And also, I always start writing my Edinburgh shows like pretty much in the period between Christmas and New Year, that's when I would start yeah. writing a new show. Um, and when I got back from Edinburgh this year, nothing depressed me more than the idea of writing a new show. Oh, so I thought, I'm just not going to go then. Yeah. That was it. So, yeah. Uh, so, like, my wife did Edinburgh for the first time, and seeing, like, a new, like, she wasn't doing comedy, or it was kind of comedy, it wasn't stand up, it was like a comedy two hander play thing. Okay. Uh, it's like an improvised, not improvised, um, it was a, a wrestling comedy. Okay. They learnt to wrestle, and it was like. I think of, I heard of that yeah, when yeah, I was right. up there. Uh, but because of the venue or the time or whatever, nothing. And I just thought it, how hard it is for someone just starting out. And then I was always of the impression when I started that like, if you go every year, you've got a following. And I think that was true maybe like five years ago. Yeah. I could feel that momentum, but now it feels like the more you go, the less people are like, ah, oh, there's so much stuff, and I've seen him other years. So I thought. It's just a good time for a break. I was just yeah. like, nah, I'm not enjoying it. So, so do you think that as some, I'm speaking to someone that's only about a year and a half in, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's crush a dream. No, it's alright. It's great. <laughs> I feel like this year's Edinburgh. I think this year's Edinburgh honestly has put a lot of things into perspective for me, and that that Edinburgh isn't what it used to be, and that you go up there and it's almost definitely you come out with a TV deal or whatever else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it is now. Every year it gets further away from that. But yeah, yeah, I completely, I completely agree. I mean, it's a great experience and a great thing to do, and it's something like if you're thinking about doing it for the first time, definitely do it. But you have to come back with real, you will, you have to go out there with realistic expectations. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like, I think my expectations are still the ones I had like ten years ago. Yeah. You know I mean, like uh, when I started, it was like the the sort of thinking of it was that you go there to try out something yeah. and build it up over the month whereas now it's like it's got to be ready months in advance yeah and i think you've got to have a big big bank balance to, oh, yeah. to get like i had pr uh this year and i had a producer and i spent a fair amount of money lost a fair amount of money uh but i think i didn't spend enough do you know what i mean like, i yeah. need to spend even more yeah. than that to get noticed and i just think it's like it's a rich person's game it like, is it's no mystery that a lot of uh, a lot of people that get nominated are people that come from quite well-heeled families, so therefore they can afford to spend the year rehearsing and writing. Whereas if you've got two or three jobs or whatever, yeah, yeah. you're not going to make as good a quality show as someone else. No. You don't have the time, and therefore not that it's about winning stuff. But it's just like if you can't afford to have the best PR, the best venue, the best time, yeah. the best poster sites, yeah. then it's difficult. Yeah. So and it's getting more like that every year. So I thought. If I save my money, yeah. maybe I can have one year at that in like two or three years' time. But 
for now I'm like I'm done with it and it's like yeah I feel like going around doing clubs like if you can if you can work clubs then it's like oh yeah I'm working and it's good and it feels nice so I think a lot of comedians now put more effort into their Edinburgh show than they would into a, when they do into a pub set do you yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of fair to say yeah totally yeah but whereas I haven't because I've tried to even think about any new material since August I've been doing the same 20 minutes in clubs so every night they'll be like I'll do a little sweet there and a little yeah. it's just like I put a spanner on one imagine if you put a spanner on one 20 minute section of your Edinburgh show for like 6 months Yeah. it'd be like really good and so I think oh well I'll just work the other way around I'll write another 220s that I haven't done in Edinburgh really tighten them up and then I'll think about going back and probably the other way I, I change my mind all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably be there. No, that's right. <laughs> I'll probably be up there. He'll be like, you said you weren't coming, I'm yeah, here now. We'll share, we'll share a venue together. Yeah, okay. fine. Um, well, I, I think last year, what my goal, well, the Leah just gone. Yeah. My goal was to go up there, and this was the same goal as the other two people I did the show, mm. the show with. Our goal was just to get better, right? Yeah. Not to get noticed, not to get anything else, just to get better. And I think because we had that, um, we had that, um, because we had that, Think, I can't think of that, a fucking word. <laughs> that idea. Yeah. That goal. That goal. That's, that's a good. That's the word. <laughs> that four-letter word. Yeah. <laughs> goal. Fucking hell. Um, it was a lot more successful for us than it was for other mm. people. For other people, kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And I think, like, if you can keep the right mindset, you can always have a good time at that. Yeah. Like, it's like when you're in, when you've been like slogging away for a long time, you you kind of your goals become much narrower and yeah. therefore harder to achieve and then therefore the likelihood of you having a good time is yeah. minimal. Uh, so that's enough about Edinburgh, we'll shelve we'll that yeah, for later. Yeah. Um, what I like to understand is like how uh, performers and entertainers are like kind of shaped. So like, where did you kind of grow up? So I grew up um, in on the edge of like South East London in Kent, oh, nice. a place called Bexley Heath. Yeah. Um, and like my dad's an electrician. Nice. Uh, my mum was a dinner lady, uh, not a dinner lady, like a cook in a school and yeah. then um, became, you now she works in a curtain shop in Bexley yeah. Heath. Nice. And so, um, and they were always pretty like good at like just, like my, my dad was pretty uh, like life and soul of the party, like around all his friends and stuff. Yeah. It was also like quite, like you'd fear him if you hadn't done your homework or whatever. Oh, yeah. And so, but as I got older, I realised that he's actually really supportive and stuff it's like when yeah. I was at university that's when I got into stand-up and when I, when I was telling my mum and dad that I wasn't going to use my degree I was going to become a comedian I was more scared of my dad's reaction than my mum's but my mum was the one who was like so and this is before like all the really expensive tuition yeah. fees my mum's still like so what we've just wasted five grand and my dad was like I don't care what you do as long as you try and then when you realise that it's not actually obtainable if you realise that then you're realistic enough to move on and do something else. So it's like, as long as you like set some goals and you like try hard and you're happy, so I don't really care what you do. Yeah. And so they've always been really good. Like, but yeah, my dad's like a massive kind of show off. Nice. Um, like around his mates. So I think I picked that up from there. And then like, I very distinctly remember being in like primary school in a school play as some pirate with a squeaky voice <laughs> and uh, getting a laugh. And I think I always was like, I think back to that. I'm like. That's probably the like one single moment where I'm like, I kind of got the buzz for that a little bit. But then, um, like I remember when I was growing up, I used to watch uh, Ruth Mortimer on TV quite a lot. And I didn't know what they were, 
or what the, what this was that I was watching. In the same way as when I saw like Harry Hill on Lee Hurst Saturday night. Mm. I didn't really understand what he was doing, but I was like, that's the kind of thing that I look up to more than like say my mates who are like into like Gaza or whatever. Yeah. And I own football yeah. as well, but like that was the thing. And I wish that my interest had been piqued by a band or something, because I'd much rather have been the band. <laughs> much rather, but I never really got into music until I was already kind of into comedy, even though I didn't know what it was at the time. But like, I was at 11, I'd watch Ribs and Mortimer with my, one of my neighbours, my friend Lauren, and then we'd go up into my room with our talk boy and we'd like recreate the show that we'd just watched, like doing the voices and that kind of thing, for no reason other than to like amuse ourselves. Yeah, of course. And then, yeah, then when I was at school, that, to me, I thought that meant I wanted to be an actor. So I did drama and all that at school, but I'd always get like the comedy roles mm. in school plays and then, my drama teacher in like sixth form was like, you should become a stand-up comedian. And I was like, I don't want to be a stand-up comedian. And then when I was at university, she kept on sending me um, emails of like advertising to learn how to be a stand-up comedian course. And so while I was at uni, I just went on the course. Like, which one was it? Which one was it? Um, um, nice. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was like, you know, uh, what was I, 21. So what, that was like 14 years ago. Shit. Yeah. And then so I I was already doing stand up. I was in my third year of uni. Only like open spots and stuff. But I was really really surreal when I was younger, much more than I am now. Um, And like so, therefore I got quite far quite quickly because I was different. But um, then that made me kind of go, yeah, I'm really good at this. But I was like, I was 22 and I was getting like 10 spots and stuff. And like people that were on my course were still all doing like fives and stuff. So I, was, I, I got quite a big head quite quickly. Actually. Yeah. And, yeah. So how do you think doing the Amuse Moose? Because I did, a, I did um, the City Academy course, right. and I'm about to do one with Soho Theatre as well. Right. Okay. Um, how do you think? I heard the Soho Theatre one's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you think doing that course has helped you? Well, I was really serious about it. Like, people were like, oh, I'm here because I want to get better at uh, work presentations. Like, the first week you had to say why you were there. Mm. I was like, I'm here because I'm a stand comedian. And anybody that was like, I'm here for, to get better confidence, I was like, looking at my nose up. The top of the <laughs> you're here, you're in my way, you get out of my way, you're wasting my time. Uh, but I think it put me in a room with like, like minded people. I can't say, I got quite frustrated on it because I felt there was a lot of, like, I think at, at the time, I was like, well, when are we going to learn how to be a comedian? There's a lot of like finding your like who yeah. you are kind of as a character or like what is unique about you, which is the best way I think to do it. But at the time, I was like, well, we've got to do five minutes in yeah. four weeks' time, and we haven't even tr- learned to write a joke yet. <laughs> so I was like, what's going on? But it obviously worked, and uh, and it was good as uh, when Logan was there. I think he does it on his own now, Logan yeah. Murray. Um, and so yeah, he was really good at like finding out what is unique about you mm. and bringing that to the front and then because I suppose you can learn stand-up like yeah. exercises from a book or whatever but I think that was an important thing that I probably wouldn't have learned elsewhere and also just being in a room with like-minded people that you could kind of I know I guess back then I would have been my space messaging yeah. going hey how the hell do we get a gig or like do you find that or like you book a gig in and go like oh I might not do it but it's in six months' time. You're like, well, I might have quit by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I hate having a empty. I hate having a week which has, which is, which is empty. So. Um, it's like, it's like the, the keen young, up and coming youngster versus the grizzled old I know. guy. I'm like, I can't wait to have a week where there's nothing in my diary. 
<laughs> and Christmas was so nice. I was like, and this is what happened to me, right? So, yeah. um, I had 23rd of December was my last gig. Oh, okay. Right? And then Where I, was it? Um, it was, oh god, it was, oh that's where it was, it was um, in Chelmsford, and it was, a, it was a dry gig, a so dry. it was like nobody oh. there drank. Oh. Um, are we allowed to swear on it? Yes. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it has, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, because I basically, I was comparing, I don't know, they can't compare yeah. very often. Yeah. Because I, I, I prefer to just do a set. I like the rhythm of like making impact and getting out. Rather yeah. Than, hey, it's me again. Hi. Uh, and. Uh, Are you going to be in next hat? But I've been booked to the. And uh, I've been to. I'm a Tottenham fan, so I've been to the Tottenham game nice. in the afternoon. And uh, my mate couldn't go, so I took my old man. So we'd had a few beers. Oh, yeah. But in the back of my mind, I got this gig in, you know, later <laughs> on. And nobody at the gig's drinking. It's all like for people that like don't drink anymore, or like, okay. you know, like ex addicts, or just people that don't drink, whatever, but nobody. So it's like no one's going, like judging them or so. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden, I've had like four or five pints in the game, <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. Um, and then I got to Liverpool Street Station, and I was like, I was feeling alright, but I was like, I yeah. just want to make sure I'm completely fine. Yeah. I've got some disgusting Christmas Yorkshire pudding oh. wrap, like a Christmas dinner in oh, a Yorkshire dear. pudding. Oh, dear. Like and then by the time I got, I was like, oh, oh, don't feel, feel tip top shape. <laughs> and I went on. And um, I just said it's really unusual to do a Christmas gig where nobody is drinking. I said because normally at Christmas gigs you get like quite a lot of hostile people, yeah. and drink turns them into horrible people. But you guys, if anybody in here is a cunt, that means you're just a cunt. Like, it's not excuse. <laughs> you can't blame it on anything. And then that guy got laughing as a way. But like that was um, that was my last gig. And then I had like uh, Christmas. Um, First time in a sort of place where I could speak enough like a post inside my family over. Yeah, nice um, one. I had an Australian comedian over called Josh Blank who, because he couldn't go back to Australia, he didn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. He was like, ah, oh, do you reckon cinema will be open on Christmas Day? I was like, come round mine. Oh, Another oh. mate who like doesn't really have a lot of family. So it was like, a bit of a ragtag yeah. bunch of like, my family, my wife, her sister. And uh, so I got really frazzled from doing Christmas Day. Yeah. So then... I decided to have a big blowout New Year's Eve. I was like, I'm going to have a real big party, let my hair down after nice. organising all the Christmas and stuff. And because I knew I didn't have anything on for like another another week, nice and then I was feeling really sorry for myself on oh. uh, on New Year's Day. Oh. Uh, and then the next day, still really hungover and feeling a bit like. Oh. Oh, yeah. And then um, I got an email from the comedy store saying, "Can we move your your open spot forward from?" Uh, February to tomorrow and I was like oh no so then quickly on Thursday I had to like get myself a 10 somewhere just to like try and try the 10 out that I wanted to try it at the yeah, store yeah. so I got thrust back into work really quickly when I didn't really want to be and I wasn't necessarily like my mind wasn't ready from the Christmas period so I was like oh, I've still got another week it doesn't matter how hard I go on New Year's Eve and all of a sudden I'm like oh probably the biggest gig of my last six months is like yeah. here tomorrow so you better do something about it but that was last night how was it it was really good but I feel like they took a minute or so to warm not warm to me but to figure me out because yeah. I was wearing a brown suit and a roll neck jumper and a baseball I've cap. seen yeah, yeah. I've seen that yeah. and so um, I don't know and like I was on after Kai Humphreys and uh, Carl Donnelly and so like you know I think they just were taking a minute to kind of go are we going to like this guy because he looks like we're not going to like him yeah. which is kind of part of my whole deal Yeah. but when you've only got 10 minutes 
and when they scrutinise you so heavily at the comedy store, mm. um, you need every single minute to be amazing. And it's like, like the second half of it was really, really good. And I've got like callbacks that call back to my earlier stuff. And they always get such big laughs because that's the way I try to write the thing. So I wasn't worried about that. But it just was a very slightly too slow to get going. And I think, like, I mean, it doesn't matter because they weren't there anyway yeah. which means that even if I'd have like had the best gig in the world they would have said come back and do it again we didn't see it even yeah. though they watched the video they like to be in the room if you're going to progress like, that's yeah. what everyone tells you so I think would I have been more annoyed if it was the perfect 10 and I still not getting I still want to do the same thing but yeah it just took a slight minute but then there was a thing where uh, there was a guy in the front row who who was um, he claimed that he owned a film studio in Hollywood okay. and we looked him up backstage and he did and he'd done a film with Nicolas Cage so like in one of my callbacks I do this thing where I really plug my Instagram yeah. like so like in a conversation with someone in one of my bits they say oh, have you got Instagram I go yeah it's Joey Page Comedy and they go yeah Joey Page Comedy I'm like that's right it's Joey Page Comedy like, would you like me to say it again so that the people of wherever I am yeah. know that it's Joey Page Comedy and then I found a way to sew it into my set later on so nice I do it again nice. and then, but I changed it I went do you want me to say it again so that the guy who owns a movie studio remembers that's Joey Page Comedy and uh, I went uh, no nah, it's alright because to be honest with you I think Nicolas Cage is a bit of a prick <laughs> And that got like a huge roar, so I'm like, well, maybe if they'd have been there and they'd just like seen yeah. it by the end, I'd really like got it cooking and so, yeah. but you never know, but I think I'll call it a draw and start again next time. Yeah, shit, why not? But, like, so it's been quite a stressful start to the year. So. Yeah. Oh, you can relax now. So did, did you, um, did you have to do King Gong to get that spot? No, I mean, I've had a long sort of, a very long drawn out process with a lot of clubs including like the yeah. comedy store because like I, as I said earlier I used to be really surreal like yeah. basically when I started I wanted to be Noel Fielding and I think a lot of reviews from my early stuff you also like, supported on tour yeah and like, I worked on uh, luxury comedy with him yeah. and like, that was all an amazing period of my life in terms of like it's nuts to think that here's a guy that I saw him doing stand up on, on Paramount Comedy Channel when that was still a thing yeah which is now yeah. Comedy Central isn't yeah. it yeah and um I was like, that's how I would want to do stand-up if I ever wanted to do it. This is before I even wanted to be one. And then, so when I started, that was the model I had in mind. And I think, whereas a lot of people would have, like, like now people would have James Acaster or whatever. Yeah. Oh, do you but know what? there's so many oh, yeah. that it's pointless for a reviewer to comment saying this guy is influenced by James Acaster. Yeah. They say it in every review. So everyone's holding the mic like that and, you know, leaning on stuff weirdly. Yeah. Um, but because mine was such an obvious influence, I would always get like, oh, he's too much on the field, and then that gets into your head, so then you try and change a bit. And over time, like, I'm 35 now, I'm not uh, a boy who skips around the stage being carefree, talking about having like a, a clam for a hand or whatever, because <laughs> yeah. I'm not really like that as a person anymore. No. Like, I'm, I'm 35, I'm married, um, I've got a mortgage, uh, I get annoyed about things a lot more because I'm 35 and you know I'm starting to notice that, you know age is attacking me and those kind of things and I spend a lot more time in you know shops or you know, things like that so it's like you write I think you write about what you reflect on and because I'm writing about things that other people can get a handle on it's going much better for me now yeah. but I'm a lot less surreal I guess but it's not by it's not something I've tried to do on purpose it's just like I had, do you know Tom Parry? I've heard of Tom yeah, Parry, right? yeah. So, um, he is a really good friend of mine, 
and he's obviously a very good comedian and Happy is a great uh, thing, but he's also a marvellous director. He directed uh, one of my Edinburgh shows. Nice. And he just sat me down and he said, look, he said, you, he said, I've known you a long time, he said, you're a weird guy, like the way your brain works is weird. Yeah, which is why I'm friends with you, because you're like a, a weirdo. Yeah. But, therefore you don't need to talk about weird stuff. You need to talk about normal stuff, mm. because the way that you look at it, will give it a different perspective that people will find interesting and people will still think you're weird because you're talking about a normal thing in a weird way but if you want to like if you want to he said if you want to in your set if you want to walk across the ceiling you've got to walk them across the room on the floor and up the walls they can understand why you're on the ceiling if you start on the ceiling people will be like I don't get this this is do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, like like you're, so you're showing people how you got how you do, exactly. to that end point, but you got to start and ground it in the real world, and yeah. that helped me so much. So it's like, like I've got a sort of five, seven minute bit about John Lewis, but it like starts in John Lewis and just sort of like really breaks down into all these tiny little absurd things. That's cool. And like, and it's just that's how I write now, and so. But also, it means I can work clubs and I can make some money. Which is not, <laughs> I mean, not, not loads, but no, some. No, <laughs> but some, exactly. Because, well, how I like to see it at the moment is that uh, I get paid, I don't make money. Yeah, yeah, right. Because you've got to, you've got to save it for him. Exactly, yeah, that's fucking true. You've got to save it to share a single bed with another comedian. <laughs> Shit, yeah, that's, that's a point. I've got to get on the foundation at the moment. But, so, would you recommend, like, getting a director for the shot for these shows that's one thing I think a lot of people don't don't understand is that I, it takes more it can often take more than one person hmm. to create a show I mean if you've got someone that you trust that you can get to do it for free it's better yeah. that you do it for each other like I think that's good like I mean I I didn't have a director for probably my first five shows so what um, made what made you change your mind I think I saw other people doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, like I also um, did some uh, like John Gordillo did, uh, did my show this year. He's really great. At, like kind of he's almost like a comedy therapist. Yeah. And that uh, he he pays you, you basically pay him by almost like by the hour, by the minute in fact. Yeah. Really? It's like you sit down, you record, and everything you record is what you're going to pay for and you just talk about whatever you want and he'll be like well why do you think you want to it's more like in the writing than the performance so he'll be like well why are you talking about this like why are you worried about being 35 and like you know and, and all those kind of things like he drags like the reason why he's like if you if you can if you can put the reason why and you're talking about something into the subtext of it then it normally gives it an extra dimension so but I think it's good to work with different people yeah. because then you learn something different each time but and also you're not just hearing your own voice are you yeah and I think it's so good that you can someone can look at it objectively and go oh you see how you're talking about that there and you're talking about it there why don't you just write a callback you've already spoken yeah. about the same thing or that, or what has happened to me a couple of times is like you go oh but you've talked about that four times. If you can find a fifth way of speaking about that same subject, then your show's actually about that, not this. Yeah. And then it changes what the theme of the show is and everything, and then you lose bits. And you get too precious about things. Mm. 
you go, oh, I want to keep that in, but it's like, it's either not relevant enough or not funny enough for, the, for a show. Do you yeah. Know what I mean? I've had to do that, re- I've had to do that recently with like just a very, like a very slight 10 second thing. Yeah. But I just looked at it and thought, this is not fitting in with the rest of my set yeah. at all. So and I'm not going to say never use it again. Do you film your stuff? I do. Yeah. Always. It took me forever to get around to like doing that because I just hated seeing myself. What? Uh, and like having to listen to my own annoying voice. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, Your voice is all right. It's not. I think it was, I think I, I, I think it took a long time to break. It was a lot higher. Yeah. But, oh. but yeah, I don't know. I just think. I'm, I'm so used to it now to watch back every yeah. gig because yeah. you've got it's, it's your job. Uh, but when you're new and it's not your job, you think, oh, I don't need to do that yet. But I think the quicker you can watch yourself, because you can pick up on things like um, even just like the way you stand or the way you know we talk about James Acaster Acaster. holding the mic. Yeah. Even though you hold like a mic or you lean on something, if you look at it, you can do it in a way that nobody else does it yeah. and that becomes like a thing like yeah. his hasn't become a thing on purpose but it's no. like I think like, I went to see John Kearns in Edinburgh this year who's one of my absolute favourites he's like a friend of mine as well um, but I went to see him and he came on stage and he walked around the microphone like a shark kind of circling the mic really? I've never seen anyone do that no, and I was like no. that's fucking cool yeah. but that gets people's attention without him even having to speak and you're like any tiny little thing that you can pick up, not necessarily from someone else, but from yourself by watching yourself, because it's natural. If you see something and then you can accentuate that, make it bigger, yeah. then all of a sudden that's some, you know. Yeah. Fucking up. Like that's really, that's actually really, really good advice. And I don't know, just, I don't know. That's great. Um, so, how did you get on Nevermind the Buzzbox? Um, frighteningly easily. <laughs> Did you just walk in? Well, so, so basically, um, I did a tryout for Big Value Comedy. Yeah. In like my first year of stand-up. And Daryl Martin, who was an agent at the time. Is he not anymore? Or no. Is it? He just runs Just Atomic and oh, you know, okay. all those venues up in Edinburgh and the clubs. Um, and he was like, I really liked your audition, but you're too weird for Big Value. You'll get killed every night. There's no point in putting you on that. But he said, I'm going to find another weird comedian. I'll give you the same deal, but you two do half an hour each. Two weirdos. I was like, fine. So I worked him a half hour. And then the other comedian pulled out and he was like, look, I'm going to offer you the same deal, but you've got to write another 20 minutes. Do an hour. Right? So I did an hour. Um, he funded it. Like, he funds Big Value. Yeah. Uh, or he used to. I don't know what the deal is now. Um, and then... Um, he said, but on one condition is that if anybody tries to sign you in Edinburgh, you give me first option to talk to you before you talk to anyone else. So basically it's like a first look, it's like yeah. a first look deal kind of thing. So I was like, fine. And I did end up signing with him. Cool. Um, but in the, in between there somewhere, he was like, you, you really like Noel Fielding, don't you? Or it was something like, <laughs> even more like he went, guess what I've got on at my Leicester Square, because he used to run Leicester Square Theatre. He was like, guess what I've got on? Your boyfriend's Noel Fielding. Your boyfriend. But I'd never met him. But he's like, he would take the piss out of me. Like, I had cowboy boots. It was terrible. Like, I'd straighten my hair. It was like a terrible business for me. Um, and then, God, I hate that young me. <laughs> I really hate that guy. Um, I want to meet him. To be- <laughs> I mean, still on comedy CV is my photo where I've got like straightened hair and I look like I've broken out of a woman's prison. Uh, wearing like a pink cowboy shirt. Um, and anyway, so. 
I was like, oh wow, that's so cool. He was like, yeah. He said, uh, do you want to come and watch? And I was like, yeah. And then he said, how about I give you five minutes? And he said, and if the crowd don't think that you're a Mighty Boosh ripoff and you're doing well, you can do ten. But if they think that you're basically just copying Noel, then you've got to get off after five. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I thought, and then I was like, oh god, am I ripping? That was the first time it occurred. Yeah. I was like, am I ripping him off? Like, I was going for this existential crisis, but this is at the gig. Yeah. I was like, well, he's not even here, is he? Like, he's not here yet. I'm on early. He's not here. And then the act before me is just finishing up, and someone taps me on the shoulder. I turn around, and it's Noel. Oh shit. He's like, hello, I'm Noel. And I'm like, <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> and so then uh, Joey Page and I went on, and luckily someone heckled me straight away. And from somewhere, I don't know, I just destroyed them. Good. And then I got the crowd on my side. Like I was something like they were like quite chubby. Yeah. And these people that that heckled me. And everyone else in there was like Noel Fielding fans. Yeah. And I just said something along the lines of like, you know, you've picked the wrong day to pick on someone that doesn't look like you. Because right? normally <laughs> yeah. on the street you'd be able to beat me up or whatever. But in here there's loads of people dressed as ravens that'll peck your eyes out. So don't start. This is our territory, not yours. And, that's big, like, and then after that, like obviously I couldn't do anything wrong. So like, I had a smashing 10 minutes. And then afterwards I was chatting to Noel. And he was like, "How do you write your stuff?" And I showed him my book, and it was like at the time he used to do it like spider diagram, like that kind of links that, and, but not really words. It used to be kind of like, you know, a sparrow's got a beak. What else has got a beak? And yeah. Like, and look all like that. And. Uh, he was like, that's how I do mine. He showed me his book. Oh shit! And I was like, wow. And he was like, he was like, yeah, we're like, um, we're like, I don't know, sort of like comedy kind of family or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he didn't say twins, but something around that kind of like brethren. I don't know. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have said brethren. <laughs> like, but somewhere around. So you reached the end of part one with my chat with Joy Page, and if you like what you hear there, click up to hear the second part. See you there. Good.